0: What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, aka John and John. So time. we
1: gotta get on. Well, Christmas morning is finally here. It is week one of the college football season. The moment we've been waiting for is finally here. We're gonna have some games to talk about. I'm John Canzano. You can read my work and my coverage at johnconzano.com. I'm here with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. You can find his work at pac12hotline.com. I want to thank everybody who subscribes to the podcast for subscribing, making that commitment. If you haven't already, reach out, hit the subscribe button so that uh, you get the next episode in real time. Uh, we, we will get into the week one games. We'll make some picks, picks against the spread and picks in general. But Wilner, before we start, let's talk a little bit about the calendar. And, you know, Kurt Schultz, the Washington State president, did an interview with him this week. He he sounded um, let me try to trying to think of the right word. It it wasn't that he sounded down. He sounded like he was coming to the realization that Washington State can no longer sit around feeling sorry for itself and angry at the Pac twelve and needs to get about plotting its path out of this mess, because it is a mess for Washington State and Oregon State. And he literally said during the interview, he called it a shitstorm. You know, we had to bleep him. Is it a rebuild of four in the Pac-12? Is it a rebuild of two in the Pac-12? Is it a merger? Is it joining a Group of Five conference? Um, Schultz says he has circled October 1 on his calendar. So it sounds like he's trying to adjust and— maybe manage the expectations of people at
2: this point. You got to love when a university president uses the phrase "shitstorm." you know, just out of principle. <laughs>
1: Surprise me.
0: As soon as all this went down uh, and you're in the middle of this, you know, kind of shit storm. Got to love it.
2: Uh, so they have some time and they don't have some time. The, you know, it's a little bit of both. Right. Because they can't make a panic decision. And yet. They need to figure out where they're playing starting next fall. Who there's who's on their schedule starting next fall. Who's broadcasting their games starting next fall. So, right now they are waiting on Stanford and Cal. And as we record this here on Wednesday, the uh, ACC commissioner Jim Phillips is participating in the in the CFP meeting all day today. I can't imagine the ACC will have a vote today, but maybe tomorrow uh, on Stanford and Cal, the expectation is that they're going to get invited. Into the ACC, which would leave the PAC two. And then I think that they do have a few weeks, the Washington State and Oregon State. The big thing is they're waiting on the conference office in a lot of regards to figure out exactly what the bylaws say, who's in charge of the money, what the assets are, what the liabilities are. And, you know, I think anybody could guess based on the way the conference has been run for the last 10 or 12 years that there might be a lot of stuff tucked away, even hidden, thing, you know, liabilities they don't know about, assets that they may uncover. I just wonder how well uh how neat and tidy everything is for the s- chief financial officers to get a real grasp on what the size of the pot of cash Washington state and Oregon state might be sitting on. And Scott Barnes at Oregon state has said all
1: along that keeping the assets continues to be the goal, whatever it looks like moving forward. And And I heard that echoed with Kirk Schultz, the Washington State President. Like they think there's there are some assets there. whether that means that, you know, the Mountain West Conference is going to become the uh, you know, the Pacific West Conference in some kind of merger. Or it's going, you know, the Mountain West teams are going to move in, or some semblance of Mountain West teams move in remains to be determined. But you, you kind of unpacked some of those assets, you know, the emergency fund, the NCAA tournament units, um, the infrastructure, the Pac-12 networks. What am I leaving out here?
2: Well, there's some sponsorship. You know, there might be some money in their deal with uh, uh, what is it, Tempest X Machina, the data rights company that they partnered with over a year ago. Uh, you know, there's value in the Pac-12 brand, as as battered and bruised as it is. The Pac-12 brand still has more value than the Mountain West brand or the American Conference brand. So, the, and who knows what else is lurking in the in the books at 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 the conference, especially because the networks add this entire layer of complication. Certainly, people are asking about the Comcast situation. My understanding is that the the money that Comcast is going to deduct from its payouts to the Pac-12 to offset the overpayments is all going to be taken care of with the current 12-team structure. So sometime in FY24, I don't think Washington State and Oregon State, if they stay and try to rebuild, are going to have – this huge comcast bill as a liability i think that'll be off the books by june 30th
1: whatever was left over will be divided by the 12 schools before they exit and that won't be hanging overhead uh there are potential lawsuits with former pac-12 e's that are suing the conference i think that's kind of hanging out in the background like what happens with those who holds the liability if those lawsuits have to be paid out um you know there are uh, obviously what happens to the pac-12 networks Uh, Gloria Navarez already presented in person to Washington State on Thursday of last week. I was told by somebody in the meeting that she was well-received, that she was very impressive. She brought the University of New Mexico with her, who is the chair of their board. Um, Same group went to Corvallis this week. They were there on Monday to talk with Oregon State and visit with Oregon State and present. I don't have a lot of intel on what happened in that meeting, but... I'm told that the tenor of both meetings was more of a let's open a conversation. Uh, Gloria, very good in those meetings. I think, um, you know, she presents well. I think she's smart. I think she knows the Pac-12 and sees kind of the value of the brand, but... It looks she like she knows the Pac-12 yeah.
2: better than anybody at the Pac-12. She <laughs> yeah, worked that, there that under Larry. I mean, she grew up in the Bay Area. She worked there under Larry Scott for many years. And given who's who's left on the executive staff, I'd argue she knows more about the conference than anybody currently employed. The Pac-12 brand is battered, right? That you know, you think nationally
1: what uh, the Pac-12, and people see this, you know, this image of the Titanic, right, or you know, in, in an iceberg, and but. I think in the Mountain West Conference between, you know, between the presidents and the ADs and the Mountain West Conference, they have always looked to the Pac-12 and seen that as a power five and a step up. And there is a stigma attached with the group of five, you know, brand of the Mountain West. So I'm really I would really be curious that if it does come to a merger or it comes to a, PA- a Pac-12 division and a Mountain West division and it, you know, and it operates under the same umbrella, I'm really just to see how that plays out and, you know, who ends up in the Pac-12? Do they call it the Pac-12? Do they call it the Pac-West Conference? Do they, do they you know, sort of merge the names? I don't know what happens to the brand, but it, it looks like Kirk Schultz is circling October 1st on his calendar.
0: And this is the challenge, right? You've got four schools still, you know, in the, pack, uh, the Pac-12. That could be down to two as, you know, as soon as the ACC makes a final decision. Um, and you've got two presidents then that are working like hell to try and figure out what's best for their own institutions and simultaneously trying to make sure that we're doing governance and moving the conference forward or keeping it operational uh, with, with Commissioner Kliakoff. So there's just a lot of moving parts now. I'm sorry I don't have a more definitive nope. answer, but I, I do think um, we can't just be hoping for clarity. We've got to drive ourselves to some sort of clarity in the next month.
1: I know Scott Barnes and Oregon State wanted this settled and done before they kicked off their week one game on Sunday at San Jose State, but it doesn't appear to me that that's going to happen. And I think, you know, it helped Washington State and Oregon State fans that they're frustrated. You know, it's not going to alleviate their frustration. But I. it also, Wilner, sounded to me like Schultz was saying that, as he dug down and talked to football players in particular, that it became evident that, you know, they at first said, we, w- we want to be Power Five conference or bust. And, but then they later said, well, we want the assets and resources of a Power Five conference. And, and so what I think he was saying is, look, if they can find the money from another revenue source, whether it is subsidization from their own campus or not remains to be seen, Th- that they would like to continue to fund their programs
2: as if they are power five conference members. Makes all the sense in the world, especially if your goal is the playoff, right? I mean, we talked about this a week or two ago, just strictly from the perspective of access to the playoff, you could argue that the Beavers and Cougars would be in better shape in, in some kind of mergers with the mountain West, because th- the the playoff meeting today is the start of the process of changing the ad, the format, right? Instead of six automatic bids and six at-large bids, it's going to go down to five automatic bids and seven at-large bids so that the, Ace, the, the Big Ten and SEC can have greater access with at-large. But there's always going to be a spot open for one of the non-Power 4 conferences. So whatever configuration the Pac-12 Mountain West ends up being in the winner of that conference is going to have a heck of a chance to get in to the playoff. A better chance than Washington state and Oregon state would have had probably in, in a traditional PAC 12 alignment if, if everything had held together. So if they can pr- pr- provide the resources for their programs, think of it a little bit like Gonzaga and the WCC and, and access to a, a high seed in the NCAA tournament. If the Beavers and Cougars can fund their, their programs and, and win the, reconfigured conference, they're going to be right there for a playoff bid. You know, and The other thing is,
1: you know, they have to be worried about what happens in the next two years. Right. They They need their focus to be there. Others are thinking 10 years out. But I think they have to, on some level, be conscious of the idea that, you know, this is really now about their brand. Two things mattered when it came to You know the realignment and expansion discussions it it was your brand and it was your media market you can't help corvallis you can't help pullman you're not going to add a bunch of tv households in two years but what you can do if you are um these members is you can say okay we're going to continue to invest we're going to rise to the top of the group of five uh we're going to try to participate frequently in the college football playoff and then when there's another round of realignment, expansion, whatever happens on the horizon, um, you know, you you try to position yourself to
2: matter and you try to position yourself to be one of the halves. Yep. And it gets back to the the Pac-12 branding issue too, right? I mean, think of it like you got the Pac-12 house, right? There's a there's a welcome mat that says Pac-12 on there. Then you've got a Mountain West House and an American conference house. If Washington State and Oregon State remain in that pac-12 house even if they open their doors and allow 12 other schools to come in they own everything that's in that house and there's a lot of history they own jackie robinson's history and usc football's history all the history of the pac-12 conference would remain in that house that has value uh that washington state oregon state and any other new members you know, could try to uh, to build upon. Right. It's not. The the schools are different. The 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 people living in the house are different. But all the stuff is still there and there's value in that stuff. And I think that's something that they've they've got to think long and hard about here over these next few weeks
1: there in the next month. I, and I've been thinking about this. I think there's a real lost opportunity going on with the Cougar Collective and Damnation Collective. The two collectives at Oregon State and Washington State, I think, are are um, are a little bit slow to the punch here. The fans are mad. The stakeholders are mad. They want to punch back. They are angry at Oregon. They are angry at Washington. They're angry at USC and UCLA. They're angry that the Big 12 isn't interested. They're angry at the college football landscape and the ecosystem. They feel helpless. They want to do something. I think the collectives at Oregon State and Washington State should provide that channel for fans i i am hearing from fans and stakeholders who go hey i would love to i would give extra money right now because i'm so pissed off and i and i think in the next month while oregon state and washington state are waiting to find out where they land and what direction they ultimately take those collectives should be churning you know create a recurring donation opportunity for your stakeholders Uh, 108 years of history in the pac-12 108 dollars recurring annual you know donation that you make to your collective. I think there's a huge opportunity for Washington State fans and Oregon State fans who are angry and feeling helpless to get involved and you know try to become part of the Nil collective. And I know it's not a bake sale. that's not what I'm advocating for. so don't at me with the bake sale analogies or metaphors, but I just <laughs> think you know those collectives
2: need to seize on this while their universities are trying to figure out what to do. They should collectivize the collectives and they should combine them uh, to one like giant Washington State, Oregon State collective, uh, which would, you know, expand the the scope of, of the appeal, divvy up the money later, but just get as much money with the two schools combined as possible, us against the world and, and figure out the details later. But you're absolutely right. They need to they need to jump on this moment and and and, you know, funnel the anger that's out there. I'm John Canzano. He's
1: John Wilner. We're going to pivot into the Pac-12 Week 1 games. Uh, Let's start with the Thursday night game, 5 o'clock time on ESPN. Florida's traveling to Utah. Season opener, Rice-Eccles Stadium. Uh, Wilner, you've been looking at the spread on this one.
2: I have. Uh, I'm just thrilled the games are here. You know, finally, (laughs) it's been a long nine months, that's for sure. So we've got Utah, and I, This was a line as of a day or two ago. Utah six and a half point favorite over Florida with a total of forty five point five. And the big question, of course, is whether Cam Rising is going to play. If he does play, how effective will he be? What kind of rotation will Kyle Whittingham use if Rising's not available? What do you think? Well, look, I, I, this one, and
1: you know, I, I, I want to wait for the. Uh... Can, should we ask the FS1 broadcast crew or those people if they've been informed who's going to start at quarterback? Like, look, or ESPN. Barban. Yeah, <laughs> ten minutes before the game, will they get a note a note on that? I'm only kidding. Uh, look, I, I I look at this as an, a great opportunity for Utah's coaching staff and Utah's home field. Uh, Rice Eccles Stadium is a really difficult place to play. Uh, I of course it matters who plays quarterback, but I think you, you're potentially looking at if Cam Rising doesn't play. You're looking at Andy Ludwig finally having an opportunity to game plan with Bryson Barnes. He didn't get to do that in the Washington State Thursday night game last season where he was a surprise starter or when he popped into the Rose Bowl games. So I think it's a very different equation. Um, I have a lot of confidence in the coaching staff at Utah. I just think Utah's the better team. Uh, they, I think they have more depth. I think if if Rising plays, he might be a little rusty. So uh, I still think Utah wins this game. I think they MacGyver it. I think the home field matters big time in Week 1. And I was not impressed Florida finished last season. So I'm looking at Utah to
2: win the game and cover. I think it's going to be close, just like last year. You know, possibly down to the wire. And I do wonder, though, you know, Florida's got a new quarterback, Anthony Richardson, off to the NFL draft and, you know— as talented as he was Florida did have to change their pregame routine with their travel. Cause of the hurricane, they left what a day early. They had to stay. I think they stayed in Dallas. So you do wonder with a season opener, whether that kind of thing is going to have any, any kind of disruptive impact. So I, I'm, I think Utah will win, but I, I think it's going to be close. Six and a half, just feels a few, a few points too many to me, given You know, the uncertainty with with rising. And even if he does play, I can't believe he's going to be close to, you know, top form, given how much time he has missed since the Rose Bowl. So I like I like Florida to cover Utah to win Arizona State at home.
1: Also Thursday night, seven o'clock against Southern Utah University. Um, What do you see there?
2: I don't even see a line right. FCS opponent but it's certainly in some ways this is the most interesting game of the of the week because of what happened with ASU the the self-imposed bull ban the players and coaches found out on Sunday morning you wonder where their heads are going to be if i'm an ASU fan uh, i could not have asked for more from uh, head coach Kenny Dillingham in terms of what how he responded and what he has done over the last few days uh i mean it's the it's been the perfect reaction from a a head coach, especially from a first-time head coach, but you just don't know where their heads are going to be. I mean, they should win handily, but I will be very curious to see their their state of mind. I
1: I think in this one, I regret they're not playing a better opponent because I think this one lines yep. up nicely, provides a lot of focus for a program that I think is going to want to come out at a newly named Mountain America Stadium and fly around and make some noise. And so I think Arizona State, uh, especially on the offensive side, I'm curious how Dillingham's team will look. But I think Arizona State plays highly motivated. Of course, they win this game. Uh, and I think, you know, it might be a long season for Arizona State. But I think my regret here is that they're not playing a better opponent because I think they might have been able to steal one, had they.
2: Great, uh, great point. And, and we could have spent, well, I don't know, a, a chunk of this podcast discussing the ASU situation. We'll have time to get to that yeah. and the impact
1: why, in but why, won't, weeks. why won't Michael Crow fire Ray Anderson? Like, what what's going on there? Like, what? Michael is Crow Anderson- doesn't
2: like to admit when he's wrong. That's my two. He doesn't yeah. like to admit when he's wrong when he's done made a mistake. I mean, you know, the guy supported Larry Scott beyond the point at which Larry Scott should have been supported. Uh The Herm Edwards situations a, f- a fiasco. The way they've handled it's a fiasco. Uh, it's, it's, you just feel terrible for the ASU players, especially just like, I mean, just like the Oregon state, Washington state situation beyond the control of the players, you feel terrible for them. And, and in this case, uh, ASU same thing because the the players don't really have an option given, given when the, the BAM was, uh, you know, announced they could have done this last year, uh, and they didn't. And so they put their players in a terrible spot. I think you've got to admit when you've made a
1: mistake, and I think worse than that, you've left you've left a bunch of college athletes, college football players who had nothing to do with the infractions and in the NCAA investigation, holding the bag on this. It's it's a bad look. It's it's not right, and, and I think it becomes a galvanizing uh, rally cry. But you know, I just don't see how Kenny Dillingham you know, he won't say it, but how do you operate as a head football coach moving forward, knowing that your athletic director basically just stuck you with, you know, the hangover from
2: his last mistake and, and didn't yeah. even tell him. I mean, obviously Dillingham didn't find out till 6 30 Sunday morning. That was pretty darn clear. How can you not, I mean, can you imagine Oregon, something like this? And Dan Lanning is caught, caught by surprise like that, or Kalen DeBoer at Washington or Lincoln Riley. I mean, if I'm Dillingham, I'm, I am just furious on a bunch of levels, and certainly this counters the work he has done to build the culture there and to create a, a player first environment. I mean, it's just it's just a, a wrecking ball into what he's trying to do, and it's going to postpone the the ascent of, of his program. And he, he, you know, he goes out and he recruits, and
1: these are the questions that he's being asked about by some of the recruits. What's going to happen with the investigation? You know, and and had he, it makes him look bad in the eyes of the players he got and the players he didn't, because you know, Ken, Kenny Dillingham was saying, "Hey, my athletic hasn't told me that we're going to self-impose. We're waiting on the NCAA thing. It's a long play. I'm trying to capture the, uh, you know, he's trying to capture the community that he's in." And then his athletic director comes to him, you know, four or five days before the start of the season, and goes, "Oh, sorry, you're going to end up with the bill for all the all the sins of Herm Edwards and his coaching staff. It's it's wrong on so many levels."
2: Uh, Pivoting to it's an epic administrative failure. Yes, epic.
1: And and Ray Anderson should go. I mean, it's just there are other reasons that Ray Anderson should go. I mean, he hasn't he's just not been effective as an athletic director, and and this is this sort of underscores the whole thing. Friday night, Stanford is at Hawaii. CBS Sports Network, 8 o'clock Pacific time.
2: Uh, What do you see on that game? I see Stanford as a four-point favorite with a total of 60.5. First game for Troy Taylor as head coach. First game for whoever's playing quarterback. Uh, Right, They've got a lot of new faces that are going to have to carry the the load. Why not much is expected of them? I actually like Stanford to win here. I think that they're going to be better. Than people think generally and they are going to be as close to maximizing their personnel as possible with taylor i just don't know that the ceiling is very high why well, he's got a quarterback
1: uh you know braden shager is the quarterback Threw for 351 yards and three touchdowns in the loss against vanderbilt in week one coaches will also tell you biggest leap comes Week one to week two, a little bit of a disadvantage that Stanford's coming in first year head coach, haven't played a game against a team that will essentially be playing their second game here, even though it's week one. Uh, I still like Stanford. Uh, I think Taylor and Stanford find a way. Uh, I don't like the point total in the game. I have a feeling that it could be uh, fewer points there. I like Stanford in a lower scoring game, and uh, I think Stanford wins by a touchdown.
2: So we're in agreement on that one with the outcome Uh Saturday morning, big game Ooh. on Fox, 9. AM Colorado at TCU beginning of the Deion Sanders era, the Deion Sanders experiment in Boulder. The buffs are a 21 point underdog total of 59.5 TCU coming off that run to the national championship game, new quarterback, a lot of, a lot of the same faces though, same coaching, Uh, head coach, Sonny Dykes. What do you think?
1: I I think, look, this one to me feels like a blowout, looks like a blowout. Vegas says it's going to be a blowout. I'm still going to watch it because I am fascinated by what Colorado is going to look like. And I don't have high hopes and high expectations for Colorado this season. I've got them at like 3-9, and and I think this is a loss for them. But it's kind of like I'm driving along the freeway. Uh, You know, you see a Winnebago parked on the side of the freeway, and it's on fire. You got to watch it. You got to look at it. You know, you're going, <laughs> what happened there? What is going on? You know, did everyone get out okay? Um, I I think that, that Colorado can score about 17 points in this game, 14 or 17. It's not going to be enough. TCU, I think, will be in the low 40s. I think TCU covers at home. I think it's something like 42-17. They win and uh, cover. And, you know, I just think Colorado's going to have some opportunities to win games but it's not in week one.
2: I actually like Colorado to cover, not because I think they're going to be competitive all the way, but I th- I think that there's a chance for that backdoor cover, right? They're getting beat badly and they get a late touchdown against TCU's third string. 21 just a lot of points. Uh, but to me, the big question is Colorado's, the depth and the line play, right? You turn over 60-something guys on your roster and you're taking a huge chance on, your second stringers right i mean you can't go through a game with and only play five offensive linemen and and you know a handful of defensive linemen so what is the quality of the depth the buffaloes have especially on the line that's going to be the big question they you know the second half could could certainly be trouble for them
1: you know i've been watching some of the i watched some of the week zero games and you you kind of noted that you know the with the new rules on the clock stoppage on first down and the games are a little shorter. There's about you know 10 to 20 plays fewer in games. Could that play a factor in keeping some of these games closer or keeping the scores down? We'll see uh, as we pivot to the noon game on the Pac-12 networks. Portland State going to Oregon. Dan Lanning, one of the fastest teams in uh, major college football, playing against a Portland State team that is billing itself as the fastest team in their division. And so in the lower division of Division One football, Portland State saying, hey, we're the fastest team in our division. They're the fastest team in their division. Uh, Oregon's speed, I think, is too much. And, uh, you know, I think they run away with this one comfortably. I also talked with Bruce Barnum, the Portland State coach. He told me, you know, his focus is on winning games. They have Wyoming next week. I think down deep, Portland State thinks it has a shot at Wyoming. And I won't be surprised in the fourth quarter of this game if Oregon's up by three scores if Barnum pulls his starters and it really gets away from Portland state. So keep an eye on that. If you're somebody uh, focused on that game.
2: Yeah. I blowout game over by what? One o'clock one fifteen, I would think, uh, I am curious to see Oregon's offense with Will Stein, uh, the new play caller, but this is not going to be a very good, uh, indication, right? Cause they're going to keep things under wraps and only, only do the bare minimum here to get, get through and get into week two. Uh, interesting game, maybe the potentially game of the day, uh, 1230 on ABC, Boise State of Washington. The Huskies are favored by 14 and a half with a total of 58.5. And I'll just say off the top and then I'll let you take over. I think that total of 58.5 is going to be trashed by the end of the third quarter. Huskies went over the total, what, eight or nine times last year. Both teams have got returning quarterbacks. Both have very potent offenses. Uh, you know this could be this could be a shootout. Should be fun. Should be a
1: great game. And, I, and you know Boise State. Uh, you know I I've, yeah people respect Boise State. Respect what they've done. They really had a nice pivot last season as they looked like they were heading into the tank and then uh, you know hired uh, you know an offensive coach and really made a salvage their season. Um, I I love this game. Uh, I love it because I want to watch Washington's defense. Michael Penix Junior is going to put the ball in the air. The Boise State offense is going to try to do the same. I want to see if Washington can be better on the defensive side of the ball. I think we're going to learn a little bit about Washington in this game. I still like the Huskies. I like them at home. I think they have the better team. they got the big stage on ABC. And uh, I'll take Washington. I will lay the points. And uh, I'll be very curious to see
2: how how this looks. Yeah, I've got the Huskies as well. I think that they're, as as unproven as their secondary is I think the fact that they've got some stud uh, pass rushers will help offset some of the weakness on the back line to me that's the key for them this season is can the pass rush be good enough often enough early so that the the secondary can kind of come into its own and and that will be the dynamic that potentially defines you know how well they do in in you know the first half of the season before that big Oregon game we got Cal one o'clock game, Cal at North Texas. A little bit of an odd game. Pac-12 on the road, you know, against a group of five opponent. Those are those can be uh, challenging games for this conference. Cal is a seven-point favorite at North Texas. Total is 56.5, and that, that game is on ESPNU.
1: I'm going to buy Cal a little bit in the early part of the season. Until they prove me wrong, I'm going to get on the bandwagon a little bit. I like Justin Wilcox as a coach and a strategist. He's made some changes with his coaching staff. I'm going to buy Cal until they prove otherwise. I, I like Cal big in this game, and I'm even leaning, Wilner, towards a little, peeking ahead a little bit. Cal's got Auburn coming to them uh, next week in Week 2. Uh, I'm really curious to see if Cal can steal that one, and so I'm going to take Cal in this game, and and uh, I think they, uh, they win comfortably, and I'll be looking for a sign that that they can pull it off, upset off in week two until they
2: show me otherwise. Cal certainly is going to be interesting to watch, right? They got a new offensive coordinator, Jake Spavitol, who is a Sonny Dykes disciple and is an air raid kind of guy. And they've got a new quarterback, Sam Jackson, who played for Sonny Dykes at TCU last year in a reserve role. So Justin Wilcox definitely recognizing he has got to do something about his offense. So we'll see how, you know, how efficient they can be running a whole new system with a, with a rookie quarterback Week one, you know, mistakes you can have a lot of mistakes in week one, and I just wonder if Cal's going to make enough mistakes to keep North Texas in the game. I kind of like North Texas with with seven points.
1: I think I talked to Justin Wilcox on Pac-12 Media Day, and I said, "What you know? What are your goals?" And he said, "Win games." And I, and I think I I think he'd be happy to go in there and win ugly, win win pretty, better yet. But uh, I I don't see Cal losing that game, and And again, I might be drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit, but we'll see. Uh, Moving on, 330 Pac-12 Networks, Nevada going uh, to USC at the Coliseum. What do you see there?
2: USC is favored by eight points. Nope, nope, sorry, 38 points uh, with a total of 66. I mean, we saw USC's offense look real good against San Jose State. Uh, as you would expect, given given who the quarterback is. But the defense was a little rickety, I would say, just like it was last year, right? I'm not sure. They got all these new guys on the defensive line. We'll see if they can coalesce into a, a high-functioning unit. But based on that, you you have to think Nevada might have the opportunity to score a few touchdowns. So the question is, if can USC – they're going to have to get into the – Certainly into the high 40s, if not 50s, to uh, to cover that 38, and and I certainly think they could do it unless they pull Caleb Williams early. They're not; they won't do that. You
1: see him throwing late against San Jose State. Look, I think uh, I think the, again the biggest improvement game one to game two. Coaches always say that. Uh, you've got Nevada at a distinct advantage going on the road. Nevada has not played a game. USC makes some improvements, cleans some stuff up on the defensive side of the ball. This one is a boat race at the Coliseum. I think USC covers, wins easily. Caleb Williams uh, walks off the field smiling. Maybe he gets another NIL deal on the way to the locker room. Who knows?
2: (laughs) Four o'clock game. This is one of the most interesting as uh, another road game against a group of five. Washington State at Colorado State. It's on CBS Sports Network, and a lot of future Cougar games could be on CBS Sports Network, which has Mountain West uh, licensing rights. Uh, Washington state is favored by 11 and a half with a total of 54 and a half. I went back and looked to find out the last time the Cougars were a double digit road favorite. And it was in fact, the last season under Mike Leach 2019. So we'll see. I, you know, I like Jay Norville, the C- Colorado state's coach. This is his second year there. Washington state's got a new offensive coordinator, Ben Arbuckle. The guys, has 27 years old. They do have a veteran quarterback, Cam, Cam Ward, who's practically 27 years old. Uh, we'll see. I, I think there's a little bit of a dangerous game for the Cougars. Uh, I could, I could, would think they'd pull it out, but that's a lot of points to on the road at altitude. First game, a little tricky for, for Washington state.
1: I think Washington state has some things going their way. I like Cam Ward coming back. I like the fact that they could have a chip on their shoulder this season. The Arbuckle uh, equation or the addition on the offensive side of the ball is going to be really interesting. I want to see if they will try to throw the ball down the field a little bit more, and will Cam Ward look good in, in this opener? But I agree with you. I think the, the, that's too many points. It's 11 and a half. is that right, 11 and a half points? Yep. It's too many at Colorado State. I think Washington State wins the game, won't be surprised if they win it by 7 or 10. So I'll take Washington State to win, But give me Colorado State and the points. I think it's a little closer than
2: people expect. The third FCS opponent uh, is NAU at Arizona's 7 o'clock game. I haven't seen a line. Uh, I just know NAU won two years ago in Tucson, Jed Fish's first season. And it'll be interesting to contrast Arizona's performance Saturday versus what we saw two years ago as a a way to kind of mark the progress under Fish. I, I have to think that... The Wildcats will handle themselves a lot better than they did. It'd be interesting to see Jaden Delora's uh, demeanor, efficiency, a quarterback. What do you see from this one?
1: Yeah, I have the same feeling, and and I'll buy Arizona until they give me reason to not buy them. I think they'll be improved. I, I like fish. I think this is about when you see a program either blossom or if it doesn't happen this season, it's not happening. So I, I'll take Arizona in this one, and I think they do learn the lesson from, you know, a couple of years ago, and uh, they're at home in this game as well. It, it just screams Arizona to me, and I don't think we'll get a lot of argument there. The 7.30 game on ESPN, UCLA at home against Coastal Carolina.
2: What do you see in this game? Bruins are favored by 14.5 with a total of 65.5. You know, first, first – uh first game of the post Dorian Thompson Robinson era at UCLA, which lasted longer than a presidential term, right? Basically the last time they didn't, he wasn't the starter. It was the 2017 season. Uh, Coastal Carolina is, you know, one of the better group of five teams, but this is, uh, they lost Jamie Chabwell, their stud coach. And so it's now the Tim Beck era. And I really don't have any feel for what they're going to be like, uh, UCLA also replacing Zach Charbonnet in the backfield. Uh, I, I think Chip Kelly will game plan him to uh, into the thirty points, but I don't know what UCLA's defense is going to look like. That is a constant concern for them down there, uh, and ha- you know has been for years.
1: Ethan Garbers gets a chance to shine, but I'm I'm curious if how much of Dante Moore we may see. Chip Kelly says he'll play. Uh, I think UCLA is really good, and I think they're at home. They're good. They're the better team. I think they run away with this one, even though Coastal Carolina gets some respect. Oregon State, San Jose State, Sunday game, CBS 1230 in San Jose. I'll be at this game as well as the Thursday night Utah-Florida game. This will be my second game of the week. I'm excited to see this game. And San Jose State uh, coming off a respectable loss to USC.
2: The the spread is 17.5 with a total of 54.5. And I think that – well, if there's going to be an upset, a big upset, I got this one circled. I think the Beavers are going to be really pushed. Right, this is a this is a great example of a team playing not only its first game of the season but first game with a new quarterback. And San Jose State's line and wait, and they they have gotten themselves uh, you know they sharpened their their execution by being able to play USC last week. Uh, and San Jose State's not a bad team, and they can move the ball so. I think there's a chance that this is an outright upset. I certainly like San Jose State to cover, uh, but I think they can win the game. And, and Oregon State is going to have to really uh, execute efficiently for a, a season opener if they're going to get out of there with a victory. Because I think the, San yeah. Jose State this is a perfect setup for an upset. I think it's a
1: dangerous game. and and I, But I think Oregon State comes in to this season with uh, another great offensive line. A quarterback in DJ Uyunglele who will get his first start. He's big and been in big environments uh, at Clemson, and and I think that matters in this kind of game. But San Jose State, you know, they've got some guys and they've got a great coaching staff, and I think it presents a dangerous matchup. I I, I agree with you that San Jose State and the points is the play, but the Beavers got, they're, they're playing with a chip on their shoulder, Wilner. And if you if you're telling me that a program that got told that they're left behind is going to be a no-show in Week 1. I would be really surprised by that. So I think that Oregon State wins a very tough physical game. I think they make it tough and physical, but I think it does not come without you know risk and danger, and I think San Jose State will score some points in this game. So I think, I think you're right to see it as a potential trap, but I think Oregon State survives it.
2: I am very curious about Oregon State, right, because I agree with you that they've got, uh, and Washington State, too, a chip from the the Pac-2 situation. But it's interesting to contrast that with the other dynamic the Beavers are dealing with, which is preseason expectations, unlike we have seen for that program I, I don't know when the last time they there was so much hype going into a a uh, season in Corvallis, right? They won ten games. They're they're ranked in the preseason AP poll. They've gotten a lot more attention, a lot more praise than uh, they have in eons, and so you do wonder, like is that going to balance out with the chip on the shoulder factor so that they end up, you know, just being in the right state of mind or is one of those two dynamics going to kind of carry the day uh, emotionally for them? Because I, I do think that, you know, when you have an, an entire off season w- with expectations elevated beyond anything the players have ever experienced, it can have an, a, an effect on your chemistry. And then here they come a few weeks ago with the, with the, the destruction of the pac 12 and that changes their, their mentality as well. So it'll be really fascinating to watch not only this game for them, but how their whole season plays out.
1: August 13th, 2001, cover of Sports Illustrated features Joey Harrington at Oregon, Ken Simonton at Oregon State with the, with the headline, State of War. In Oregon, a national title is at stake. I think the expectations for the, the duality of the programs has very few times risen to where it is this season, with two ranked teams in the preseason. You know, we, we can go back to 2008, 2009, where Mike Riley and Chip Kelly were mixing it up for a chance to go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, but few other times has both these programs been this good and this hopeful at this point. And so, was, you know, was
2: Jonathan Smith the quarterback that year?
1: He uh, he absolutely was, 2001, yeah. yeah. So, you know, he... And he remembers, like, they didn't follow the Fiesta Bowl season with a great year. I mean, they came back and they kind of laid an egg and, and, you know, they didn't fulfill sort of the, uh, they didn't finish the job. And so I, here's another thing. Like I, I occasionally am in touch with Jonathan Smith. I have found him a little more distant this off season. And I thought maybe it was because, you know, he was just trying to get away. He's trying to spend some time with his family. I think he does that. I think it's very important to him, but I also think, that he was doing a lot of thinking and a lot of planning and a lot of focus on the very, you touched on like the expectations of this season are going to be different. And I think he's been in that case, you know, they, they went 11 and one and beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta bowl. And then they came back with the sports illustrated cover and they didn't really get the job done. And so I think that that may be ringing in the back of his mind and, and, I think you're absolutely right to kind of look at that. So that's why I think this this opener is super important for his team. And if they can beat San Jose State on the road, you look at the rest of their non-conference. It's UC Davis at home, and it's San Diego State at home, and then Washington State on the road, and then home against Utah in Week 5. Like, you know, everybody looking ahead to Week 5. No, no, no.
2: You, you need to be looking at Sunday. Absolutely. I think that... That could be the last game of the week for the Pac-12 could end up being the best game of the week for the Pac-12, for The first and last, right? The Utah, Utah, Florida and Oregon State, San Jose State, fascinating bookends yep. to uh, to week one. Thankfully, the football is here. We can start talking about that. Appreciate everybody listening. He is John Canzano at johncanzano.com. I'm John Wilner, pac12hotline.com under the Bay Area News Group umbrella. What do you think? You excited? I'm
1: excited. I'm going to those bookend games, so I'm you know I'm going to Rice-Eccles Stadium for the Florida-Utah game, and then I'm heading to the Bay Area to see San Jose State and Oregon State. So I'm really excited to see games. If uh, listeners, you see me at the stadium, give me a fist bump, and we'll be back next week with uh, another great episode. We I think next week we're going to pivot into doing two episodes a week through, through the remainder of the college football season. So we'll have one that that reacts to the weekend action, and then one that looks ahead
2: with our predictions. Yep, and by then, the Pack 4 could be down to the Pack 2 So plenty to talk about on the field and off. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great week.